<laughs> Dad's gone. Time to have some fun. Welcome to the Training Talk w Podcast. Training Talks with Jared and Jason. But he's not here today. But he's not here today. Sorry, guys. We kicked him out for the day. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's like, uh, what was Buddy talking about? Uh, my name is Clay Newcomb. <laughs> I yeah. love Clay's podcast. It's so He's so easy to listen to. Clay mm-hmm. is so... Man, I got sucked into him when he was doing the Bear Hunting Magazine stuff, and it was just like, where has this guy been? This podcast is great. I could listen. Yeah, right. I could listen to him talk all day long. It was great. Yeah, no, it's that that smooth talking yes. style, you know him and like I've been working a lot with the nightlife guys over at Nightlife Nation podcast. Oh, cool. You know Brent. Yeah, you know, that guy. He's just like. You can tell he hangs out with Clay. Those two, I can understand why they're friends. You know, they just right. kind of got this air about them, that smooth, slow kind of thing. But yeah, we need a good intro. They do flow, man. Those guys just, yeah. My wife was talking about the Southern voices the other day, and she's like, "It's it's pretty distinct when those Southern men talk." Because I was listening to a podcast. I'm a podcast mm-hmm. junkie. I'm down in the leather shop. I got the podcast cranked, and I'm just pounding away and doing stuff and. She'll walk in occasionally and be like, man, you can definitely tell when those southern men talk. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, those guys, can, they got really good voices. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you what, you don't like these guys from the West that talk really fast and they got a high-pitched voice? And she's like, no. <laughs> I know. That's the funny part, like being on the phones all the time is you get to talk to everybody and you kind of pick up a little bit. Like I go to Wisconsin Oh, when I come back after four days in Wisconsin or visiting, you know, when I'd visit family in Michigan. Yeah. I mean, you come back different. It, it's like you can't help yourself. You're just surrounded by surrounded. it. And you pick up on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's why I like listening to all those guys. But that kind of brings something to my mind. You know, like we, we associate different people and different, you know, accents and things like that. We gravitate towards them. Sure. But, you know, it's all the same language still, right? It's all in the delivery. Yeah. But what about these dogs? You know, as they're listening to us, you got to think, it's not English. I keep hammering on that one. These dogs aren't speaking English. And we're not trying to communicate. I mean, we are communicating in English, but it doesn't have the same meanings to a dog until we've taught them. Right. And I just... I guess I, I've been thinking about a question for you and you talk a lot about when that dog's ready and it's nothing I've really given a lot of thought to because I just kind of know I watch and I do things, but right. that's something we should all really talk about is how do you know that dog's ready? How do you talk to it with that slow, smooth, you know, comfort feeling? It's like, right. how do you get that message across? Because we talk about body language, tone, it's so much. I mean, this could be a multi-part podcast here, sure. but how do we know when that dog's head is right, regardless right. of age, maturity level, experience? I mean, there's so many factors to go in. When Jared Moss is looking at a dog, yeah. what do you look for to know that dog is ready? Or do you tell a client, hey, we can work on some basic stuff, but this dog's not ready. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Let's do this when it can be, impo- you know, great. impressionable. That's a great point. A um, couple of things that come to mind there. Number one, when I first started training, I kind of I kind of talk about 
how things were mechanical. So I would read these methods or I'd read these books and watch these DVDs and go to these trainers and I would try to watch all the mechanics that they were doing. And so probably for the first 10 or 15 years, it was just like, I'd say first 10 years, a lot of my training was mechanical. So if I was mm -hmm. going to try and teach a dog, whoa, for example, I knew if I put this check cord around him and did a, did a half hitch around his waist and made the, made the pillowcase thing, or if I put him on a place board, if I did that so many times and I kind of like chiseled him into understanding that when he was on the board that he wasn't supposed to move his feet, that if I did the mechanics enough times and enough reps, I could almost mechanically get him to do it. And so the sure. dog, the dog would mechanically, he would act like a me mechanic, right? He'd be just like a robot as a better word. And right. the dog would get on the board and do the robot thing that it was supposed to do. And then, but so, I mean, not to break your train of thought, but like, it's, when you say mechanical training, like you have a check cord on the dog, you, yeah. you can make it do like exactly. you have more hands on touchy feely. Like it, it's a real hands on experience versus right. Uh, I don't want to say a mental thing, but well, know. what what it was is like I'm gonna get you to understand that this word "woe" means that you don't move your feet, and here's this board to make you do it. And so it was all this mechanic stuff, right? It was like if you do it wrong, then I'll just correct you with the rope and show you how to do it. And then I would say "woe" safety five, net. Yeah, I would use "woe" like 500 times. Sure. And so then I then I run into this trainer. Um, who comes down and does a, a, sem a couple seminars and his name's Dave Walker. And I watched Dave in the very first seminar. He came down to Utah and we got 15 or 20 people lined up right there and their dogs are all crazy and all different ages. And, and just the energy was like really, the dogs were just jacked up. Right. And we're trying to have a seminar and I watched in three days, Dave talk, take all of these dogs that were super hyper, not focused, crazy. He would walk over to each dog and talk to the client and say, hey, what have you been working on? Okay, I want to take your dog out here in the field. And the gallery would sit there and watch, and Dave would slip this leather training collar over the dogs. And in like two minutes, he would literally take a dog that was pulling on leash, being wild and crazy, and he would walk away from everybody. And Dave's energy was so centered and so calm and so relaxed. And Dave was almost 80-something years old at the time. So he had this kind of old man shuffle to him, and he would just shuffle away from the crowd, shuffle away from the energy. He'd have this leather training collar, and in a couple of minutes, just through talking through the rope, I call it talking through the rope, but he was just sure. just kind of tugging on that rope. And he would kind of sit there and read the dog's body language, but Dave would sit there for a few minutes and do these come go with these few little drills. But Dave's method was not mechanical at all. He was, it was a connection more than a control. Yeah, Dave is was how like, I kind of hear that. Yeah, Dave was trying to give off this calm energy, this focused energy, this mm -hmm. really calm person, and the dog sensed that really quick. And he was reading the dog's body language. If you're jerking my shoulder out of place all the way down this thing, I'm going to give you a tug on this leather collar, and it's going to sure. match your energy. And so Dave. I'm giving you a really long-winded answer, but what I learned... No, it's a deep subject. Yeah, really. what, I, what I learned was Dave was reading body language, and Dave was using his body language to talk to the dog. And so he didn't... Man, he, he would talk... He would say zero 
I would be out there, the bird, the bird boy, packing the birds around for him, doing what he told me to do, you know, get out of the way, get out of the way. And the first thing Dave would tell the whole crowd is shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. put here's a piece of duct tape, put it on your mouth. Just be quiet. Be quiet. And as soon as you take away your talking, you will see your dogs. I, this is such a hard concept to talk about on a podcast, but if you can get your dogs calm and you will stop talking and you will start looking and trying to listen, your eyes are reading that dog's body language. And this takes practice. This is not something you're going to learn. It's learned. It's yeah, not. this is not, this is, does not happen overnight. But what I watched Dave do was just a complete opposite of what I've been learning, right? All of sure. this cookie cutter, I'm going to just kind of chisel you into being this dog. And Dave's method was completely opposite of, hey, let me, uh, let me read your body language. Let me use my body language to talk. And then Dave's whole method was nonverbal communication. And sure. once the dog did the action and was really good, proficient at the action, whatever it was, get in the truck, recall, heal, whoa. Then he layered the verbal on top of that. Like he mm -hmm. flipped the whole concept on its head. Instead of saying heal and then trying to mechanically make the dog heal, he wouldn't even say the word. He would start talking. He would talk it through the rope, showing the dog through his body language, nice, slow, steady pace, and then talk it through the rope. He was showing the dog through body language what he wanted. And the dog would be like, oh, I, okay. And then he would layer the words later. And so completely foreign concept but i can tell you jason um it sticks dogs well, they, re they retain cue. they do they retain it really well more cue than command is how i kind of interpret yeah, that that's a great way um because i was the same way in the beginning it's like you got this dog on a leash and you're trying to make it heal and you're heal you know and you're tugging on it and it's pulling on you and it is not a fun experience. No. I mean, the act of training a dog when you're having to rely on a control, this is just the way I, I kind of explain it. A control-based training versus an overseeing standpoint of training yeah. is different. Like if I have to pull on that leash to make that dog stop, we got to work on that, right? Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, not say anything and just not let the dog get away from it. Yeah. I mean, to me, I don't know how you think I'm, I'm interested by doing that without a vocal command. It's like they look at it differently. I think, cause you can see it. It's like, okay, this environment, like I'm not supposed to do this. It's not even him telling me I'm not supposed to do this. It's just, Hey, clearly there's some reinforcement here, nonverbal, mm -hmm. you know, just holding that leash in place. And they just kind of pick up on it once once they figure out, hey, that's just how we are. And then I would add the verbal, just kind of like you were talking about. Yeah. A couple of things. One thing that I had a bad habit of when I first started on, let's use recall, for example. I would say here, and I, even if I had the dog on a long line, I would say here. And then I would tug the rope and I would say here again. And then I'd say here about five times because every time the dog stopped or got distracted. And it was like, you know, later on I learned that every time I would say the word and the dog wouldn't do what the command, I'm actually diluting the efficiency and effectiveness sure. of my word. The verbal sure. command, the verbal command carries no weight if I say here 
and the dog does whatever he wants. And we do keep doing that after about 30 sessions. I'm still saying here 20 times and the dog's still not doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that as a trainer. Like, think back to your first dog. If we were going to teach recall or in your instance, like you're talking about heel, like how many times are you going to go out and work that dog if every time you're just out there struggling? It gets kind of, yeah. after like it's five boring. times, yeah, you're like, you this, don't want to do it. This is stupid. Like, I hate the this. frustration. <laughs> and I think that's why the handle, I mean, we've talked about handle a hundred times and we're going to talk about it a hundred times more, I'm sure. Yeah. I think, you know, Buddy had said it early on in these training talks. It's like the handle on the hounds. It's definitely there. I mean, there are guys out there that have hounds that handle phenomenal, you yeah. know, um, but it's not as new because I just wonder if we all got lazy. I know I did early on. I'm trying to train my first couple dogs and it's like, you know what? You're going to do whatever you want. You're going to run out of the box. I think, okay, great. I'm going to justify that. That dog's got so much drive. I can't even get the box open without it piling out of there. Mm. When really looking back, if I'm going to be honest, I was lazy. lazy. That's what it came down to. And, you know, I didn't have the eye back then. And I know a lot of our listeners are in that same position where you can't explain things. I mean, you can't explain them to a point, but until you physically see it, see it. yeah, you don't know. And that's when I've learned to really watch those dogs right. and pay attention. You know, a big one for me is eye contact. When that dog's of an age that it can look you in the eye and you see something going on in there, right? that's when I start training. Sometimes it's really young, you know, 12 weeks, you know, and then other times it's like, okay, you're just not ready. We're going to pack you along. We're going to work on some basics. I mean, how do you know when a dog is ready as a trainer or when do you turn someone away and say, Hey, now is not the time. Here's what you need to work on. Right. X, Y, Z to get this dog prepared before you drop it into class. Yeah. Good I, I mean, are there certain cues that you look for on that? Yeah. And we've actually, what's interesting is over the years, we've actually found out that we've broken our training kind of into two segments. We have a puppy course and that usually starts right around four to six months of age. That's when the dogs are typically mentally mature enough to come to our facility and they come here for 30 days and we work on the foundation work. At the end of that time, we take the guy out in the field and we take that particular dog. Because I, I get a lot of people that call me and say, well, what are you going to work on with my dog in those 30 days? And I'm like, well, that kind of depends on the dog. Because <laughs> if, if he can't even do ABC, we talk about crawl, walk, run. If he's crawling right now, we're going to start at that stage, wherever he's at. And we're going to – obviously, there's – our four foundations, you know, our four pillars to his foundation training. And we're going to start on those things, but where we start on those levels of those each of those four things is all based on the dog. They're not always in an order. You're no, saying it's, like there's yeah, key components, but it's not A, B, C, D in that order. Yeah, it's kind of like a truck. You got to have a drivetrain, you got to have an engine, you got to have a chassis, and you got to have some way to control it. You got to have those four things. Right? Yeah, you got to have those things or you're not moving. Sure. And so, um, yeah, so we, we have a puppy period, and then we kind of have some space in between that where we're going to continue those four, those foundation things just at a more higher, like more adding distractions and making it harder to do those four sure. things. Then they come back around 10 months of age, roughly, and they're here for 60 days. And the goal is at the end of those 60 days, 
we're ready to rock and roll. Having said that, I've had guys show up and say, hey, Jared, <laughs> here's a funny thing. In the dog world, a lot of people don't tell the truth, the whole truth. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? They show that, up, that's new. <laughs> yeah, they show up at my kennel and they're like, hey, my dog's ready for that second, you know, I've had people call me and say, hey, my dog's one year old. I need to get him finished out. And it's like, cool, bring him in. I had, I rem distinctly remember this one guy. He showed up. Um, we were, he, the dog was coming in for the 60-day program. And he got he put a leash on the dog in the truck. He was kind of in the free roaming in the back seat. And he came out of the truck, and he slammed the door. And that dog, Jason, I could read every bone of his body. Like every piece of his body was saying, oh, my gosh. Really, he was saying, holy shit, what are we doing? Right. What, what's going on? The door slamming freaked that dog out. Really? And I'm like, whoa. As a trainer, all the red flags are going off. Like, Just square wait, one. Wait, 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 wait. And so literally him and I walked across the street from our training ground, our kennel. And I'm like, hey, we got to do some work here, me and you first, before this dog's coming into the kennel. Because there's all kinds of crazy energy in the kennel. All the dogs mm -hmm. are excited. And him and I went and did some work for five or ten minutes. In a nutshell, that dog wasn't anywhere near where he needed to be mentally. And I, sure. and I had to tell a guy that just drove ten hours to get there, hey, you, you, can't, you can't leave your dog here, man. He's not going to work. And he, he was super frustrated. Long End of the story is later he came back when the dog was ready, and we finished out that dog. He turned out to be a nice dog. But he was sure. no way ready. And so, the you know... There's some measuring sticks that you're going to use uh, learning as a trainer, as a houndsman, as a dog trainer, learning to read that body language is so crucial. And so you got to be able to, you got to be able to look at the dog and, and try to start thinking like a dog and start going, you know, that particular dog was freaking out. He was pulling on the end of the rope. I noticed when he slammed the door that that freaked him out. And it's like, well, how are you going to come and do gun dog training when sure. you can't even have a dog, a door slam? And then we walked over and the dog was completely, I call it the donkey method, the donkey thing. It's like his heels were dug in, his feet were down, and he was just oh, like yeah. fighting, the, <laughs> fighting the leash the whole way over to the field. Everything about the dog just gave me the feeling of like, he's not ready to be here. And so and the hard part is, you know, that guy probably genuinely thought the dog was ready. He had no and idea. He was so, so out of it. Oh, I'm sure. Because, you know. I think there's a lot of people out there. Um, I think that they're not all going to be dog trainers. Like I think oh, the majority of the people listening to this podcast are not going to be dog trainers, right. you know, but if we can help them understand the concepts behind it, you know, you're maybe training one pup every two, three years. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I'm trying to add to a pack. I got my first puppy in a long time right now. And it's just, I wouldn't consider myself a trainer, but I have learned a lot of things that help in that. And I think that's, a, that's my goal with these questions I'm asking you today yeah. is you guys like yourself and, and buddy or any houndsman or a bird hunter that's, that's been around these dogs consistently and can see that's not something you're going to understand until you have that aha moment. And you're like, I, I get it. I see it. That is exactly what they're talking about. Right. So I feel like if we can talk about it and familiarize people, right. it's going to give them a better opportunity to open their eyes and see it. You know, they know what they're looking for instead of just going out and right. hoping for the best hoping. kind of deal. Winging it. Yep. 
Yeah, winging it's pretty rough. Right. And and I will tell you, Jason, I messed up my first two dogs. <laughs> my, I think my first my first two bird dogs, bless their souls, those two little dogs. You know, in the end result, they were really nice bird dogs. How I became a good trainer is because I screwed them up, and then I learned how to fix them, and then I screwed them up, and then I learned how to fix them, yep. and I screwed them up, and I learned how to fix them, and and so I don't ever want to come from a place um, that I know everything or my method's the only way or you know whatever, because dog training is like one step forward, two steps back. And then it's like laying awake at night and trying to figure why out why did this happen? Why did that work? Why did that happen? Why? Yeah. I, I had a dog that was like two year old male and, um, I was doing like touch up work. And one day mm-hmm. I put out three birds and I'm like, cool, we're going to do some hot touch up work with, with Huck. And Huck went out there and just, he, he didn't even point. He walked in, picked up the bird and brought it to me. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, that's, that's what you do when you're a four month old puppy. Like, and him and I had a session where he just completely came unraveled and I'm sitting there going, bull crap. I'm a dog trainer. This is not, this is not happening. You know? And so I put out three more birds and that put out the third, the third bird on the second group. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is one of those days, you know? And I'm like, no, no, it's not. I'm going to do this. I'm going to push through it. So I pushed him through it. We got through those three birds. I got home and I'm like, Man, I missed the mark today. Huck was having should've an off played. day, and I should have went home. Like, yep. there's nothing wrong, guys, with going. And so, yeah, one. There's nothing wrong with realizing it's not the time. The same as like we covered before, letting a dog out of a kennel and expecting it to listen right off the bat, like it would after it's got its jollies out. You know, right. the zoomies are gone. Just, just remember, you're gonna have, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna screw things up. Um, you, you know, you, not every outing is going to be perfect. And there's times as a handler, as a dog trainer, you know, or a dog owner or a guy that's hunting, hunting dogs, there's days when you're just going to get out there and nothing's going right. There's nothing wrong with loading it up and going right back home and be like, no, because there's nothing you can do to make it right <laughs> at that point. It's right. just, it doesn't line up. Yeah. And, you know, I guarantee you're not the first one to screw up a dog. No. You, you know, I know that was, that's the legend that precedes me. You know, I had a couple <laughs> of dogs early on that, uh, looking back, I can tell you exactly what, how I screwed them up. Right. They were very tender dogs. Not soft, but tender. Yeah. You know, it didn't take much. And you get a little hot and heavy and you raise your voice and you're yelling and then you're using an e-collar improperly and you're you're letting emotions drive your training and man i'll tell you that'll screw a dog up beyond i don't want to say beyond repair but in your eyes at that moment beyond repair it's like i can't fix this right i don't know how but that's what made me really start to read dogs knowing and having to just eat some crow and swallow your pride and realize you screwed up bad right um I, I hope. But it taught me to look, look for that opportunity and see when is this dog going to pay attention because right. there's times they're just not going to. Yeah, dog training is is starting to learn how to read with your eyes. It's mm-hmm. reading that dog's like, I, I hope these podcasts will help some people start realizing that you got to kind of drift away from the mechanic sometimes and you got to start getting in tune with your dog and start reading his body language. And then making sure your body language is portraying the right message. It's not It's not like a cookie cutter on everything, you know. 
There's some, mm-hmm. there's some finesse. There's some dance that you're going to do here. There's some art to dog training too. And, and knowing when to push forward and when to back up that comes from experience. You, you sure. there's just no book you can read to know. I think at times, so the big takeaway I hope from today is, um, you got to start learning how to read that body language and you got to start learning how to speak their language. Cause if you will, your training is going to be a lot more effective. The dogs are going to retain it really well. Back to the story of how I was talking about mechanical training and then Dave Walker coming down. So I pick up Dave's method. I start using it for a couple of years and I have a guy that's in the military and he brings me his dog and I train it and he had to go overseas for like 18 months and he comes oh, back. Wow. He comes back, grabs the dog and then literally one session has the dog right back to where he was 18 months ago. And he calls me that's and he's, he's, he's ecstatic. He's like, Jared, this method is freaking awesome. I've never owned a dog when I've been deployed and come home and had the dog right back to where he was in a day or two. He's like, I've always, it's always taken me like a couple months to get my dogs because I'm leaving them sure. with my buddy. My buddy's doing all kinds of stupid stuff. The dog just r- runs free basically for 18 months. And then I come back and basically have to retrain my dog. And he's like, I am blown away at how well this dog retains it. And then I'm getting people bringing me dogs in for a fresher refresher. And I'm watching these dogs and then I, and then, you know, seven to 10 days, I have them right back to where I had them a year ago. And sure. I'm like, holy cow, this method works. Like it sticks. I don't have to have $10,000 of equipment. I don't have to have hundred foot cords and teaching whoa, whoa on a placemat. Like I'm speaking dog and the dog's retaining it. And the dog's like, oh yeah, I remember this. I know how this works. Right. And so that was the aha moment for me was like, wow, I don't have to like constantly be on this dog every day, every week, keeping the mechanics sharp, right? Like if I learn mm-hmm. to speak dog and I learn to read that dog and then I teach him in his own language, he retains it so much better. It's sure. It's like night and day difference. So, yeah. Well, that's a, I've thought about it in the past is like, is a dog doing something because of a submissive mindset? Like, okay, my handler is telling me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like, obviously, that's the goal. I mean, we want them to do it. They're going to do it. That's a good job. But I wonder what goes on in their mind. Like with you say in the mechanical training, it's like you've just beat that into them. Right. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah, I metaphorically, mean, you're just like yeah. pounding that into them over and over and over and over right. and over and over. Do you feel that that like you could still get to a similar result, but I would assume with the, the body language in your current method, it sounds like it lines up a lot with, you know, even what buddy and I do in different aspects, it's, it's morphing that dog's mindset yeah, to moving with you. Like you say, the come go with me drills like that, that intrigues me because I've never worked with bird dogs, yeah. but I'm, you know, the patterning and the getting out there and the hunting, like, that would be totally applicable to a hound. You know, some of us don't walk hunt, uh, you know, things like that. Do you feel that it changes a dog's mindset doing a different style of training yeah. versus that verbal mechanical? Yeah. So here's an example, like mechanical training. When we used to break dogs to woe, 
you did it so many times and and on the on these long lines basically you got one line holding him here and one line out here so he's kind of like stuck between these two lines he can't really go anywhere so you're sure. you like you said metaphorically speaking you're basically beating him into when i say this word this is what you're going to do well a dog would go on point and as you would get closer you would say the word whoa that dog's body language his tail would come down he'd kind of shrink He'd look at you in the corner of his eye like, oh, shoot, what's going to happen? Like, he would feel the pressure of all of those mechanics that we did, and it, he would scream it on point. Like, you, as a mm-hmm. professional, you'd walk up and be like, yeah, that dog was broke harshly, mechanically. Sure. Right? He was broke to woe harshly. On the flip side, now, you're working with the dog, and you're, like, you're teaching him how to learn. You're, you're, you're asking him to do something through the body language, and then you're giving him the opportunity to do it. And he wants to please you, so it's like, oh, what you're asking me to do is this? Cool, I can do that. Instead of, oh, what you're asking me to do this is, I better do it, by golly. If I don't do it, then there's a consequence, right? It's almost right. like this hot, heavy hand. So today, when those dogs go on, go on point, and I walk up and I say, whoa, they get bigger. Like, they curl up on their toes. The tail starts just twitching. They're getting close to the end. Yeah, like they're just, the, like, the reward. they're, like, jacked up because they feel like it. they were taught how to do the drill, how to do the the woe concept in a way that was, like, I'm going to mold you and help you understand and teach you. Um, where this is to help you get to that end goal. Yeah, the end goal. It's not a command to just do what I'm telling you. We're trying to make it to this goal together. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. I walk so that the, the, you know, the icing on the cake is you walk up to a dog on point and he gets bigger, he gets prouder. He's like, he's, his intensity gets stronger. And, uh, that's how Dave started winning competitions. Cause you got a heavy handed handler over here, walks up to his dog on point. Dave walks up to his dog on point, And as Dave gets closer, the judge is going, look at that dog. Like he's actually getting taller. Like he's standing right. up proud, like, hey, we're doing it, we're killing it. You know, and he's looking mm-hmm. at me. The dot like Emma, my own personal dog, Emma will look at me like, get him. You know, she's yeah. like, Yeah, here he comes, he's gonna kill this bird. And she looks at me like, get him. And then get it done. Yeah, and before it was like they're looking at me out of the corner of the eye going, Well, shoot, I hope I don't screw up. Like And that's exactly where I was gonna go. It's not a fear of screwing up or, you know, I'm not like they're not confident enough almost because there's always it's either good or bad. Yeah. You know, with that mechanical training, like we're going to force you, you know, like restraining a dog yeah. even. Okay. Some dogs don't like help. Dogs don't want to stand. And I know that this is kind of bouncing between hounds and, and gun dogs. And there's a lot of different applications, but I would encourage anybody that's listening regardless of what kind of dog you have, there are bits and pieces of all of this that are going to apply to you. Like I can't think of any topic that we've talked about that doesn't in some way have some relevance to all working dogs. Correct. Period. Wouldn't you say Jared? hundred percent. Cause it's dog. You're speaking dog, whether it's bird dog, hound dog, terrier, pit bull, whatever. Right. That's their, their language is pretty universal. Uh huh. So, I mean, takeaway from this really, uh, my, my main point is make sure that your dog is ready 
And the only way to do that is to do your homework. That dog, you can't do anything to make it ready. You're not going to make that dog start earlier or later. It's ready when it's ready in my eyes. And it's your job as a handler to understand, okay, it's time to start kindergarten. It's time to move to first grade. It's time to move to middle school. You can't look at it in this big scope. You've got to just cut it down to the micros and really understand. So yeah, I guess I, I'd say more of a training tip for training yourself. Yeah. Same with screwing up dogs. You know, I mean, we play such a huge role in a dog's success, but yet we want to put all the blame on the dog when things don't go right. 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 Yeah. Learn how to read these dogs, learn how to use the nonverbal communication. Um, there, there's a lot of things that we can do, you know, to, to build confidence and build exposure type training, right? Let's go for a walk out in the creek. You've never been to the creek before. Let's go figure it out. Those, those exploring training sessions, simple, small things, loading the dog up in the truck, taking him to town, all those things are going to help him get more mentally confident so that we can start things a little faster. But yeah, some dogs are just going to mature slower than others. It just happens and you can't, you, the big takeaway for me is learn how to read the dog and then know, know when it's, when it's time. And we'll, we'll give you a lot more um, measuring sticks as we go along here. One, one quick yeah. one, quick one, and, and that's uh, the big question of when do I start with the e-collar? And, I, and we said this earlier on the last podcast. <laughs> well, hey, Jared, when do I start using the e-collar? Well, you've been working on recall. He's been doing really good. And then one day he's going to stop and look you square in the eyes when you call him, and he's going to say, not doing that today. And that's kind of like, okay, cool. No big deal. Don't panic. I know next time I better have the right tool in place, which is probably an e-collar. And I got to do some work with the e-collar before I give the command. But I got to have the right tool to then say, okay, here. And he says, not today. And you and you have a little tone or a little nick. And he's like, oh, crap. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I guess I do have I guess to I better listen. come today. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we'll have to hit on some of these down the road, you know, because it is so universal across, like, the breeds and the different jobs that these dogs have. So... I hope you guys are all enjoying these. You know, I, contrary to what Buddy says, I really enjoy the training podcast. <laughs> we can bust his chops because he's not, not here. here. But yeah, it's, there's something to take away for all of us. Um, and I know I've said it before, my shortcomings and my screw ups, I am more than happy to put out there if it can save somebody some frustration. No doubt. So, the, you know, just focus. I mean, I want you guys to reflect how are you reading your dog rate yourself how well do you know that dog right you know i've got i'll use my dog rose for an example if you go hunting with me jared i'm coming i'm not gonna tell you now what she I'm does i'm coming <laughs> but when we when we call her up dogs i'm gonna tell you exactly how that dog's gonna act in just about every situation and you're gonna be like wow, wow. yeah yeah pretty much yeah but other dogs I'm not like that with right? because I have a keener eye for her. But, you know, just keep a keen eye, whether you're a trainer or you are someone just trying to help your dog. You know, we are not all going to be dog trainers. Sure. Jared gets to keep that title, but yeah. I got no interest in it. But there's so much that we can all do as our homework to make sure that when we drop that dog off to you or something like that, it is ready. Right. And we have a true assessment of those dogs you know that that story you said about the guy dropping it off and i'm not being ready yeah 
you know, it just, it goes to show that he did not have an eye for that dog. So all you guys out there, just get the eye. Yeah. And, and these, these podcasts are a great way to learn and to listen. And, you know, you can still be doing your work and put, put your earbuds in and, and get some information. I think it, I, I really like this platform. I really do. I think it's a great way to, to learn. And you got, you know, you got some great podcasts out there. You got nightlife, you got hounds and XP, you got other places. And it's like, for sure out of every all those podcasts um there's all these little nuggets you know you get these other guys talking and you're like oh that's a cool little definitely that's a cool little nugget of information i never thought of it that way Mm -hmm. i think we can all uh always be learning always be trying to figure out always always trying to be growing what's funny is i got horses and i started watching some of those horse trainers concepts and i learned some stuff from the horse trainer that I could apply in the dog world. And it was like, sure that, that, that crosses both. And it was so cool. I was like, man, that guy's got that. I should try that with the dog. And sure enough, the dogs would respond really well. I'm like, cool. Nice little halter technique with this guy who's training horses actually works with dogs. And so we're, I think you can pick up, learn, you know, a lot of it has to do with the way that you're approaching the thing. For sure. If you're approaching this podcast looking for holes, yeah, you're going to find them. But if you're coming here trying to learn, we're going to drop a ton of little gold nuggets that are going to just nuggets. Yeah, they're going to help you just shorten up your training curve so it doesn't take you five, ten years to learn what it took. You know, if it took me five years to learn it, hopefully I can teach you something that'll help you learn it in one year. Yeah, and not screw up a bunch of dogs in the process. <laughs> and not have to call me and say, how do I fix this? It's like, oh, crap. Yeah, and we encourage everybody. If you got questions specifically, I mean, if they're gun dog questions, hound questions, doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm I'm really active on Instagram. Send me a message. I there's nobody I don't try to respond to. So Instagram's the best way to get you. Yeah, I'm really active on Instagram. But and for people who don't know, it's best gun dogs and best, best hound, hound dogs. dogs. Yep. Either either one, they can get a hold of you through. Yeah. Send submit us a question, and then we'll bring it on here so we can. It's kind of hard to DM you back a, res, a response, right? But this this platform's perfect. Long answer response to your question. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Awesome. Appreciate you, Jason. <laughs>